0: Hello, and thank you for joining us. I'm Joanne Guo. And I'm Sarah Gerber. We are the co-hosts of the Track Two podcast. Today
1: we're in conversation with Fukasin Stojakov of Tesla Nation and It in Belgrade, Serbia. We're going to be talking with Fukasin about entrepreneurship
0: and civil society. Fukasin's organization grew into the most influential technology entrepreneurship and youth movement in Serbia today. SEEICT, also known as StartIt, has led to the creation of a thriving tech community and a flourishing startup ecosystem. They created the first tech startup accelerator in Serbia, a nationwide network of tech community venues and co working spaces. Their tech media outlet reaches up to 125,000 people per month, with seven community hubs across Serbia hosting 500 plus yearly events and attracting more than 25,000 visits.
1: Started has been chosen as the exclusive partner for Google's startup support programs in Serbia, working exclusively with Microsoft, the American Embassy, the State Department, and many other private and governmental institutions from North America to the European Union. They've trained 150 startup teams and raised more than $6 million in venture capital funding.
0: We can go ahead and kick off. Thanks again, Vakashin, for being patient with us and for putting so much time and investment into this whole setup. I really appreciate it. Um, it's a
2: privilege and also quite fun. So,
0: good, anytime. Good. I wanted to start with when did you know that you were going to be an entrepreneur?
2: So, thanks for the question. And it's really interesting that I've been, that I actually got that question a couple of times in the past several weeks. And the answer is that I knew it from like age eight or nine. The reason why I knew it at such a, such an early age was uh, it's kind of comical. I guess it was a situation when my mom was going to work and as a kid, I wanted her to stay home with me. And I you know, told mom, come on, don't go to work. Why, why would you go, go to work? So she said, I have to. You know, you will have to do that, you know, when you're an adult because you'll have a boss so you'll have to go. And I was like, I'll not have a boss. I will be, you know, my own boss and I won't have to go. And uh, that's, that's also a very interesting segue into the whole idea of the illusion of freedom that entrepreneurship provides, at least to some entrepreneurs, myself included, and because you are going after freedom, but... You know, it kind of turns out that you're actually doing, you know, crazy hours, weekends, holidays, and so on. However, I guess for folks like myself, I really do enjoy that freedom of choice. I can work as much as I want to. The work like in me sort of pushes that boundary a bit, but I I knew it from quite, quite early on. I didn't know that I will make it if this is making it, but
0: yeah. I'm curious of you. Had seen anything that had kind of given you any ideas that the being your own boss was even an option, or if it was just in that like moment, like oh, the solution to this problem is to be my own boss.
2: Yeah, it could be just the fact that I was a kid and I didn't know anything about the world, but also potentially that was about the time when private enterprise was decriminalized in Serbia. So that that might sound a bit strange, but you know under communism. If you were an entrepreneur, you were essentially an enemy of the state, which is totally ludicrous now, but it, it actually was the truth. So at that time, uh, a class of people, which were called privatniks here, uh, people who have private enterprises, emerged. So perhaps that was part of the inspiration, but probably it was just a kid who wanted to get his way.
1: So a slight act of rebellion in a way. Yeah,
2: I guess kids with the moms who are, being very patient. But, but it's a very interesting question that I posed to myself when you asked uh, whether I saw an example. I, I remember that the sort of biggest impulse or encouragement that I got to really commit myself to tech entrepreneurship uh, was that a friend of mine, he created a startup which was doing very well. And I thought, well, I can do this as well. So that was very, very, very encouraging to me. The fact that I knew a person, you know, in flesh who actually did something. And that was one of the reasons why in my activist uh, career later on, I insisted so much that we do a lot of uh, events where we would connect people together, because if you meet someone who is not an imaginary figure, so to say, who actually has done, you know, something that you aspire to, it can really help you push you to to get there.
0: I think it's super important that we see models of different things that we can do, and and the narrative really matters too. So I think I'm kind of intrigued by this idea that there is such a strong narrative of entrepreneurship being wrong, and then. So there, like Joanne said, this idea of like a rebel move to be an entrepreneur, and of course it's like not technically rebel move, but I think that that is, a, that is actually a position that shows up in a lot of places when it comes to entrepreneurship, because it's going against the status quo oftentimes, like you're motivated to do something that is different, to do something that is not seen in the world. There is a, a element of rebellion that comes with that kind of, at least thinking, even if it's at a very simple subconscious level and don't think of yourself in that term or would define yourself that way, which I don't think a lot of people would, but I hadn't really necessarily thought about it that way. I feel like the environment or the narrative that you're sharing in what it looks like there creates a slightly different angle on this, which is Part of the reason that we find this whole subject interesting and why we're pursuing this podcast series is there's all those different elements that are contributing to this story of entrepreneurship on a larger scale than what's typically shown or understood to be entrepreneurship.
2: Curious, uh, what's your vision for this project that you've undertaken? Because it seems to be a bit off the beaten path of a tech podcast or an entrepreneurship podcast.
0: What, a, what, what a, a great description! description. That means that we're means doing, we're our, doing job, our job, Joanne. Joanne. <laughs> Are you asking our vision?
2: Well, I can I can turn it a couple notches down and say, um. Uh,
1: well, I you wasn't do? asking for an easier question. I just asked. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: I was being polite. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, no need to be polite. It's okay. Now, Sarah, you go ahead and take it first because I tend to go too long. <laughs>
0: I think the very simple version is that we're interested in exploring the intersection of entrepreneurship and civil society as a powerful collaboration for systems-level change. And there has been a pretty narrow definition of entrepreneurship when it comes to these kinds of arenas, and a narrow narrative of the journey, the entrepreneurial journey, which we've covered a little bit too. Like there's That interdisciplinary, expansive sort of experience of a person having a a big impact on what it looks like to imagine something that is new and different, I think, is such an important part. And the journey of entrepreneurship in the States, I think, has become so narrowly defined based on stories that have come out of it, it just starts to become more and more narrow. It's like, you have to come from this place, you have to do this thing. Because that has been successful in the past, the options start to get smaller and more narrow. Um, And I think this is an opportunity to create a broader picture of what that path can look like in hopes to inspire people to maybe find a new narrative for the thing they're already doing or explore a new path that they didn't think was possible. So that's my uh, working definition of what we're up to.
1: I will tell you that we're sort of looking at the conversations through the lens of values, systems, and skills, and trying to describe what it is that makes for uh, a really compelling entrepreneurial vision, higher purpose, and specifically how that maybe crosses some of the lines that others see as as separate. For me, my definition of a healthy, functioning civil society is very similar to yours, Fukushin, in that I believe we need an educated populace and that people must have some value for their freedom of thought, freedom of movement, freedom of choice. But that also includes having some hope for the future, And I spent a lot of time last year thinking about the future of work and even coming to to Novosad and Belgrade. So I personally found that Sarah and I have so many very different experiences, but at the end of the day, it's the values, skills, and systems that we use that are, are really our common ground. And we each have this collection of amazing people that we've met through these travels. And we wanted to see what it would look like if we were to put these narratives together, like what kind of collective narrative would emerge as we explore many other guests who maybe aren't given the microphone, but have made an impact and fulfilled their higher purpose. And so I'm, I'm very happy that our opening sort of experiment includes people from a lot of different corners of the world, because if entrepreneurship is going to work, if this is going to be the future of work, and by many accounts, it should be because there's just only going to be so much stability in other places, then then we need to get the message out there that anyone can be an entrepreneur. Not everybody wants to be. Not everyone will be successful at it, but it is the path that's open to everyone in the way that an Ivy League education and a great STEM summer camp is not.
2: One thing that I would say has been perhaps uh, very good for the American society, at least from where I stand, is that entrepreneurship has been kind of engraved into the DNA from the founding fathers onwards with the American dream and everything. And by fact, for the entire world, because American culture is being adopted more and more as global culture. But what's really interesting and in a way, I don't know, weird or too bad is that entrepreneurship is kind of viewed as a negative thing even in Western Europe, which have been free market societies for a very, very long time. Let's say in Germany, which is very well known around the world as an innovative uh, country with a great economy. Entrepreneurs there are notorious, but in places like Eastern Europe, where I'm from, your parents have been learned that if you go to a state company, you have a state job for your entire life, you will be safe for your entire life. And it's kind of okay for them to sort of push you in that direction because they want only the best for you. I would say that that's only one, one more reason for activists like myself and my colleagues to work even more with the kids to try and show them that there's this other way. Entrepreneurship doesn't necessarily end in disaster or enormous success. It, it almost certainly ends in a lot of learnings, which you can apply in many different ways.
1: I hear a number of different parallels to how stability is seen in the United States. For one, the story that you're telling about people going and finding security, long term financial health by working for a state organization in our area that could be state, federal, or a large corporation. That's still encouraged in America as well. And I think in part because America has struggled to overcome inequality. So the part of the, the conversation that struck me most recently is that you talked about having sort of a collective of peers. You saw someone doing something. You saw their success. You felt that that was something that you could aspire to and that could benefit others. And so by sort of summarizing that, my hope is that you'll talk a little bit more about one, what it means to be an activist to you because we have a slightly different definition here in the U.S., then two, if you'll tell us a bit about the organization that you run today as a incubator and sort of catalyst for entrepreneurship in your country.
2: So I'm, I'm very curious to find out what's the definition of an activist in, in the U.S., although I think I have a sense that it comes with a pinch of radicalism, I guess. I'm not sure what activist means in our language either, but I know that I feel it you know you are activating yourself and you're construing and executing activities for the sake of the entire society that that's the way that i would put it and for for myself uh, i kind of just uh, fell into that that vocation and it uh, fit me quite well it's a very fulfilling thing for for me personally and also i've been following my sort of uh, i guess dna and have combined activism with entrepreneurship by creating a social enterprise. And the way that we function is that we have this overarching thesis that our society is currently not in the shape that we are happy with. So there's a lot of uh, people who are not well educated, who don't have a lot of options in life. There's a lot of people who perhaps are educated and are forced or choose to seek their careers outside of our country and a uh, score of other types of social problems, you know, that that aren't necessarily, you know, much worse than elsewhere in the world, but still we don't like it. And the way that we see that we can change this Perhaps a bit naive, but we do fully believe in it that if we preach and educate the ideas of entrepreneurial mindset, of entrepreneurial thinking and approach in solving problems and creating solutions on the one hand, and educating people about the possibilities of technology, which is an amazing tool that is given to our generation to help even the smallest and poorest team solve a huge problem by doing those things and by preaching it over and over again, that we will perhaps create a generation of people who are both independent in terms of finances, because they will have found success on the global market, and also intellectually, which is currently not necessarily the case for... Folks who are stuck in uh, stage jobs with little or no perspective, who just hang out in front of the TV and listen to talking heads, who aren't necessarily telling it like it is or showing the whole picture. So we are hoping that by creating a new generation who is based on an entrepreneurial mindset, we will have brought about a change in our society that will make it more prosperous and healthier overall. We've been doing this for 12 years now and year over year we've been uh, increasing the breadth and depth of our activities and our commitment and have been reaching more and more people Uh, currently our main media outlet that serves as a main disseminator of our ideas and information is being read by between 100 and 125 thousand people every month which for serbia which is a country of seven million people is not too bad however we are looking for we're aiming for, let's say half a million to a million on a weekly basis, which will provide us with an enough mind share to really get our ideas into the the heads and actions of people so that we can make a collective change that we actually all want to see. It's all a bit you know hippie and meta, but it's the best we can we came up with so
1: far. What are some of the ideas that are contained within that media outlet per se? I think what you're describing is in part a newsletter. And if you have other channels, please, you know, share.
2: Yeah, so, so we have a, uh, I guess, uh, 10 years ago, it would be called a blog. And now it will be called a news portal. So we publish something between three and seven articles per day. And we have essentially four goals. On the one hand, we inform people about opportunities in digital economy. Secondly, we inspire them with confidence that they can play an important part in this digital economy. We educate them about the ways that they can use their creative and intellectual potential to contribute solutions to the digital economy, to create value for themselves and to the world. And fourth. We connect them to opportunities to either get a job or get a co-founder or an investor. And that essentially goes for all of our activities, be they digital or offline. In a way, it perhaps follows my own trajectory because I remember when I first started getting structured information about opportunities that are out there, which I kind of felt that, that exist, but didn't really know about well enough. And when I got in touch uh, with stories of people who have actually done it and got in touch with materials on how I could do it as well, which today is known as the internet. and I got in touch with uh, potential partners, investors and so on, it's made it a whole, whole, whole bunch easier. So we're trying to sort of em- emulate that approach, both through our media outlet and our network of community spaces, which we have eight around the country. And one, one more thing, for what it's worth, we have a newsletter as well. But generally, for us, it turns out that having a news portal works very, very well from a brand perspective. And also, we are weeks away from launching what will be the first steps for our own social network, which is not crazy as it sounds. In 2020, if somebody told me that they were making a social network, I would, I would say, stop. So, but I think we've uh, we found a way to to make it work, to create a lot of value for, for the folks using it and for us as activists.
0: Would you say that this activist title has been a part of your entrepreneurial journey from the beginning? Or w- tell me a little bit about that personal progression and what brought you to make that an important part of your identity? Because you should just be an entrepreneur and... That's great. But it's different to move into a space of wanting to bring others along with you.
2: So you seem to be good at finding you know, pathways into my childhood. Uh, Final jokes aside, <laughs> uh, I distinctly remember that there was this you know, great number of books, uh, which were memoirs of Winston Churchill in our, in our home when I was a kid. And I was drawn drawn to those. And even though the style of his writing wasn't necessarily made for a young boy, it did sort of push me towards social sciences and history in particular, which I studied.
0: Why were Winston Churchill books in your house growing up?
2: I think that my grandpa was a traveling salesman and he used to sell encyclopedias and large volumes of books and he kept Churchill for himself
1: Are you saying he, <laughs> I think that
2: uh, the fact that he was a World War II veteran sort of you know uh, inspired him to keep it even though I think that he wasn't as literate as we would measure it in 2020. but definitely it uh, inspired me to you know explore more, more history as such. And in a way, I think that I was drawn to history because I, this is going to sound a bit cliche, but I wanted to create the future. So if you want take, to take part in creating what will develop in the world around you, perhaps uh, history can be a teacher to that. So I would say that there was a you know, sort of a, a seed of an activist there all along, along with the entrepreneur. But all in all, I would say that... and. I'm being subjective, obviously, but activism is something that we need sorely in this day and age. And uh, at the same time, I would say that perhaps practical and pragmatic activism is something that we could, at least here in Serbia, do more with. Because there's a, there seems to be all kinds of activism that is perhaps in vogue and definitely important. But when you have a lot of people, as you mentioned, Joanne, who are not in a great stage in terms of financial independence and perspective and all kinds of stuff that drags along with that, I would think that the civil sector uh, can do a lot to help uh, those parts of the society which definitely need uh, to be helped. or Because if they are not helped, it will create problems in places where you might not expect. If that makes sense to you guys.
0: What's interesting to me is having a background in a social science is not the standard of what people think of as an entrepreneur, right? Like that's, they think more like technical background, like, you know, <laughs> you're supposed to be an engineer or something. Like that's the pathway to building something, especially in the digital economy as you've described, but I think that when it comes to being able to integrate those tools and that resource and that mindset with a societal level uh, vision, it's, the, it's those social sciences. It's the like looking at this ecosystem from a broader perspective and understanding humans and human nature and what it takes to build a successful and uh, thriving society beyond just yourself. That is so important. And I think that's often missed because people don't talk about go get a history degree to become an entrepreneur. And I mean, I, this is part of my own story. I have a degree in art and English. (laughs) And those are, those are things that have shaped very much the way that I see the world, but very rarely does someone with that background go into this space And I think that that's what's interesting to us in this exploration is those less traditional paths and what are the things that start to shape this more nuanced and holistic perspective on where, in this case, entrepreneurship and civil society intersects in a powerful way. I think that's such an important part of your story that I really want people to know because I think that that's often missed in other conversations or other profiles. That's the thing that really intrigues me about this.
2: I would say, for instance, that studying English, it could be seen as a very, very positive skill to have in an entrepreneurial career, because if you're an entrepreneur, you're a leader and you are a communicator. And if you had to go through a lot of Shakespeare to be so precise and perhaps so persuasive, can push you a long way towards achieving your entrepreneurial you know, vision. And on the other hand, one could one make an argument that engineers have a big trap laid out in front of them when it comes to entrepreneurship, because de- depending on the school, engineers can be formed to be very, very sort of tunnel vision-like in their approach. And it's a, it's a very good school and a very good engineer if he or she can avoid that trap. So even though it might sound like something that would be said, it's uh, an obvious truth, having multidisciplinary uh, approach to entrepreneurship is, I would actually think, necessary, at least in terms of mindset and not necessarily in education. For my part, I decided to uh, study history, not because I thought I was going to make a living out of it, because... You know that's that's pretty hard to do in this part of the world, at least. but because I, I guess I was arrogant and I thought that I don't need an engineering or a business school to be successful in tech entrepreneurship, which I'm not sure was the you know best call, but you know it did it did all right in the end. However, uh, one thing I've been really, really thinking about pretty hard in the last year is how important it would be to have a program to help educate engineers on what their pitfalls are. And there are many indeed because of the tunnel vision that, that could be uh, you know, brought in from college. And for all the social, let's say social sciences folks, to show them, to demystify uh, the process of creating a piece of software or a technological solution. Because in 2020, this is really, really not hard because there are so many tools that can really help you go a long way towards creating a very, very convincing prototype of a software solution.
1: So to me, that sounds like this discussion that the United States is having about soft skills and that being one of the necessary skills that the next generation learns. There are a couple of things that stand out to me from a much earlier comment when you were describing your uh, media channel to your base, and that was talking to people about how to leverage their curiosity and intellectual potential. I'd like to hear just a little bit more about what that means to you and then in In particular, since you mentioned Shakespeare, I'd like you to tell me how you inspire people and motivate them to dig down and reach in for their curiosity and intellectual potential.
2: Going back to the media property, that's been an invaluable tool for us as activists. And I would definitely recommend very much to anybody in a similar situation to try and build a media outlet uh, with a brand that can then cross over into many other products or or channels of or communication. And when it comes to intellectual potential, I'm guessing that we could do a much better job there. But in any way in in, in a way I think that the most important tool that we are using is showcasing success stories. This is something that you can hear in every startup ecosystem seminar and workshop everywhere. So just push success stories out so that people can, can see for themselves. I'm guessing that uh, it works fairly well here in Serbia because people here usually associate success with corruption, if I'm being perfectly frank. And if our media outlet showcases a constant series of, oftentimes young people who have achieved great success just by using their their heads and their computers that can inspire uh, people quite a bit and for what it's worth uh, our media outlet and our organization is actually called started but it's only in serbian however if uh, any of you would like to get some info on the serbian ecosystem there's also a tesla nation uh, project and the website associate, associated with it where you can see a bit more about what we do. But generally, uh, uh, this is a great question that I will you know, carry, carry on with me. How do you actually systematically and effectively you know, reach out to people and uh, inspire their, their curiosity? For myself and the way that I inspire people, I think it's by sheer... sheer. There, there was a thing that, that, that people said about Steve Jobs that there's a field of uh, reality distortion. So I, I think that I carry a bit of that with me as well. And some people take good to that. Sometimes I'm, I'm not being too shy about what I think that we as a society or we as individuals can accomplish with technology and right mindset and so on. And Many of those ideas are very impossible. And so far, I've been very lucky to uh, have made many of those ideas that seemed impossible into reality. And that might be inspiring to some people. As I mentioned earlier, in the past 12 years, we've been sort of focused on creating the groundwork for the Serbian tech ecosystem. And we have been lucky to contribute to its becoming a mature force in the local economy which was broadly thought as being impossible to happen. By a combination of all kinds of factors, it came to to pass. Now, one thing that sort of always irritated me is the fact that many of the local entrepreneurs and innovators just simply sell themselves short, either because of lack of ambition or lack of confidence or a lack of well, soft skills, which I think that the U.S. folks can can do pretty well. And for that reason, I decided to start a project that has for its goals no less than to completely rebrand the entire country of Serbia. And uh, that's perhaps uh, the uh, very, very super optimistic uh, way of thinking that can sometimes inspire people. It's very arrogant to be an individual who comes out and says, okay, since nobody's doing it, I'm going to do it because it needs to be done. Because Serbia as a country, which is fairly, fairly small, and, you know, there's not a lot of reason for people to know about it. And there are some reasons that people have a negative uh, perception about it. Those perceptions definitely do not help any entrepreneurs from Serbia who are trying to make it or break it on the global market whenever they are out there in the world uh, trying to get either clients or partners or investors, they always have less chances than their peers from countries which have a better brand. So we came and we said, okay, let's, let's start changing that. So by looking at examples from UK's tech nation and Israel's startup nation, we came up with a brand Tesla nation. So Nikola Tesla, as you may know, was a very prolific Serbian-American innovator who inspired some cars, I, I think I've heard. And also, he was very, very proud of his American citizenship and his Serbian heritage. So it's, it's a great symbol for us to borrow his name as a symbol for connecting Serbia to the most developed markets and well, the most progressive parts of the world, which the U.S. definitely is. Here, we've been doing a lot of matchmaking between partners and the U.S. and other developed markets, ideally with the goal that people from developed markets who know a particular industry and who have uh, business networks and have business acumen and business knowledge will be CEO and business co-founders in startups that are started with folks from Serbia who are engineers and technical co-founders, because in Serbia, there's a lot of technical education and knowledge and next to zero of business culture and business knowledge being disseminated in education, you know, which is a remnant of the socialist system. So we thought that the best way for our folks to create value for themselves and the world would be, would be to pair up with folks from developed markets who have domain expertise and know the lay of the land, so to say. And we've been extremely lucky to be supported by the likes of Yudrang uh, and many, many other kind-hearted people to, to help us to change the perception of our country and put it on a map and provide a lot of opportunity for a bunch of entrepreneurs from Serbia and hopefully, well, create a lot of value for for people in the world, even though uh, you don't necessarily, as an entrepreneur, get too many chances to choose which kinds of projects you will be working on. The most inspiring uh, projects for me here in Serbia is a company called uh, Seven Bridges. And so far, they've raised something like $100 million in, in VC funding, and they have something like 200 bioinformaticians who are sitting here in Belgrade. Which is the biggest number of bioinformaticians in any private company in the world and they're helping researchers and doctors cure various kinds of cancers so isn't that great even though there was absolutely no bioinformatical course or on any faculty here in serbia just the fact that one guy from boston knew this guy from belgrade and they co-founded the company together brought a chance for many folks here in Belgrade to make a meaningful contribution to people's lives obviously not not every startup is as romantic and uh, you know beautiful like that but uh, you can always hope that you will get those chances and for us in Tesla Nation we definitely uh, look to get as many chances as those that on the one hand have a clear economic upside but have a very very relevant potential impact for the world.
1: Where are you seeing the majority of these partnerships come from in terms of geography within the U.S.? I'm always curious to know if our country as a whole is cross-pollinating in the same way that other countries do. In In this example, if you were to sort of draw a line through Serbia. We're kind of going through the middle of the country, connecting all these offices. You mentioned Boston, so that's one coast. Sarah and I are out here in California. And what often happens in the United States is that the coasts will uh, do as you would expect for coasts and they'll go east and west. But a lot of times what's in the center gets missed and there's a real missed opportunity there. I'm curious to hear just in your experience with Tesla Nation, where you see those partnerships blossoming.
2: So when it comes to Serbia, essentially three cities which uh, have universities that can create many ecosystems around them. It's Belgrade and Novi Sad, as you mentioned, and also uh, further down south, the city of Nis. However, our activist approach was that no matter how a kid is cursed by geography and has been born in a place that is devoid of opportunities and inspiration, that doesn't mean that we should leave them behind. You know, I mentioned Nikola Tesla. He was uh, born in a village of something like 150 people. Mikhail Pupin, who is another Serbian scientist and co-founded what became NASA, was also also came from a little village. I really believe that a society that doesn't at least make an effort to provide opportunities as equally as possible, both geographically and in every other case, is not, a, is not a society worth building unless there's a real crisis going on and you really need to focus your resources. Going back to your question when it comes to the US, definitely there's a lot of East Coast connections going on between Serbia and the US. One thing might be the fact there's more Serbian diaspora which facilitate those uh, connections and the fact that the time difference is uh, smaller However, the biggest success case so far came from a company where the CEO was in San Mateo and uh, the CTO was in a niche, which uh, sold for something like $200 million. Unfortunately, I, I would say that those connections are still in a relatively early phase, that there isn't enough of them for us to sort of plot a pattern. However, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't look for those opportunities everywhere we can. One, one place which is really intriguing me for, for some reason is Chicago. I've heard from some Chicagoans that, you know, it's the gateway to the Midwest. And it seems to me that perhaps people from outside of the States somehow forget that there's a whole country between L.A. and New York. And there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of awesome people there. So that's something that that's been really sort of piquing my interest.
0: I love that your inspiration with Tesla Nation is a is a historical inspiration. I feel like you're pulling in some of that history into how you're thinking about things, which seems very fitting. I'm curious how you think about the role of imagination in what you're forming, but also in how you inspire. People to think about what's possible.
2: That's a great question, which I'm absolutely unprepared for. However, <laughs> I can try. I can try by saying that I would think that storytelling as a as a skill to both relay some messages and some lessons and inspire people has been fairly effective for us. And when it comes to imagination, well, I, I would just say that having Encouraging a lot of confidence, without that confidence become, becoming artificial and uh, abrasive, could be the spark that lets your imagination run free without any any sort of I would say burdens that perhaps society imposes on you. Don't be dreaming all day. You should be you know studying or working or whatever, which you definitely should do. But allowing it to yourself. Uh, to believe in the strength of your ideas. Uh, and having that confidence is something that to me definitely would be an attempt to answer your question. I haven't studied art, so I, I guess I'm bad with imagination.
0: <laughs> Not at all. Imagination is like a core of what you're doing because I understand how you're thinking about it from a historical perspective. You have to know the past in order to understand where you're going. But when it comes to a leadership in creating what hasn't been, Imagination is core. You're helping people see a world that is not what is in front of them or what they've seen before. And to me, imagination is the key component of that. And, and you hit it right on the head that storytelling is a core part of how you do that. Because storytelling is this ability to paint the picture of that world.
2: Yeah, I could actually think of imagination as being a combination of a vision, which is well, imagination and a fairly, you know, clear demonstration of confidence that it can be done. And if you have a vision that is something that people would like to see, but they're not poor, and then somebody comes along and says, "Yeah, this is definitely it. We're going there." Yeah, that that could be, yeah, just the thing. Yeah. Th- thanks for that.
1: Fakashin, I'm curious about this time period in Serbia when entrepreneurship was illegal and how the arts were seen either as part or not part of that. I'm specifically curious to know about writing and writers. I know there was a place for academics and you've shared with me in the past your experiences as a history major and some of the challenges with that, given the changes over the last, let's say, 30 or 40 years. That's notwithstanding the last 700 years because there's a deep history here. But how were writers either a part or not a part of the free-thinking entrepreneurship component of Serbia?
2: That's an amazing question. Going back to to what you asked about uh, arts in, in time of communism, well, it very much suffered, obviously, because, you know, in order to have you know, good art and uh, creative art, you need to have a free society. If you're thinking whether you will be going away for you know, some re-education or straight on prison time because of something you wrote, you know, that, that might stifle a bit of your creativity. It's Interesting that there was a Yugoslav Nobel Prize w- winner for literature who wrote obviously not about political topics but generally i would think that totalitarian societies stifle a lot of uh, human activity arts included going to your question about writers and their inclusion in the ecosystem i have to be frank and say that i'm not sure what that role is however now that you've asked me I think I need to have an answer for that uh, because I would think that there hasn't been a lot of overlap between the arts world and the technology world, even though some of the tech entrepreneurs I know went to the best local art schools, but Mm -hmm. definitely encouraging, sensible and well-organized uh, let's say mesh actions of those type would definitely be good for for any ecosystem. It makes logic that that some effort in that direction could could create a lot of value. Have you have you seen any uh, uh, situation in your experience where writers played a significant role in in an ecosystem?
1: United States of America. Uh-huh. Is there anything that that comes to mind? I mean, something that comes to mind with this conversation in particular is uh, Sarah having a background in art and you having a background in history. And I was thinking about one of the cultural phenomenons that has really helped to bring about more discussion of social justice in the United States. And that was the play Hamilton and one of the main songs that. Captured a lot of, as you as you phrased it, hearts and minds. Was this song about how an individual wrote their way out? So it's one thing to work your way out and to build a business, but it's another thing to write your own story and to create the future. And then, just speaking from personal experience, clearly, when I've had a conversation prior to this one today, I have observed your writing to be uh, of a quality that would make you an exceptional writer even by native standards here english as a first language and just for the record he covered his eyes so my point here is that writing and communication are are two skills that that each of you were touching on sort of the theatrical and performance based Communication background that can be helpful in persuading people to adopt your ideas. But there is something to the architecture and structure of writing to create this imaginary space where you can describe a future that maybe hasn't happened yet, or you can describe your own experience of a past and be able to create more of a cohesive narrative to one that may otherwise be fragmented. And so I think some of the, the discussions that we have are really interesting to me, simply because I'm recognizing what blindsides I have as an American, just culturally. You get into your value system, you, you sort of Take it for granted, and you, you think that this is transparent, but it's not always transparent. It comes up sometimes in our own conversations or at a, at a business meeting. So it seems that that is something that you're using as part of your entrepreneurial success, your ability to write and communicate, but also to facilitate conversation and to moderate, and in some, some cases, almost mediate differences of opinion. I'm not really asking a question here. This is more or less just the conversation portion. And I'd love to hear both of your remarks. I don't want to put you on the spot. So either one of it's you can take it away.
2: Yeah, I, I would just like to share one, one little anecdote. So uh, a good friend of mine who went to art school and is a designer and had some success in the tech business used to tell me from time to time, okay, question, but why are you using those complicated words? do you have a need to demonstrate your you know being dominative in relation to other people what's up with that and I, I you know many times I felt bad why am I doing that at the end I just realized and this might sound harsh but I just told him hey, hey man, actually I re- read a lot of books so you know it, it's not it's not me it's you fun jokes aside having an opportunity and being encouraged to immerse yourself into literature, which provides you with a way to express yourself, you know, regardless of be of that being formal education or giving yourself some time uh, and mindshare to get inside the heads of people who have been to a lot of places and experienced a lot of things, can help you formulate your own thoughts and communicate them to to other people. And I have been accused sometimes of being a bit. Uh, overzealous the way that I communicate and the words that I use, but I, I definitely wouldn't change that. And I would definitely recommend to every aspiring entrepreneur that a wide education cannot hurt you when it comes to your career. So yeah, that, that was something that uh, could be perhaps used as, a, as an example and an inspiration to entrepreneurs to you know explore their communication skills, which start with reading I think
0: I'm curious if you have a story of someone in your ecosystem that you think really captures the vision of what you're creating from their journey
2: So that's a great, great question and uh, I would definitely go back to the to the example that I mentioned earlier uh, about this company that is creating various technological tools to help researchers and doctors cure various types of cancers. So, and this came by absolute absolute chance. It turned out that this friend of mine got connected to this this guy from Boston who who was involved in the human genome project. Over the years they were like, uh, hey, perhaps we could build this thing and they just started out without ever meeting in person. And they went on to build a company that Uh, has gone through clinical trials and is actually being implemented in real life. And their work has so much life impact. And that is something that you can just hope for as an entrepreneur. You try and put your intellectual and creation potential towards uh, the most value that that you can can make. And if uh, I were lucky to help Create another or a couple more companies such as that that could have a great potential to make, uh, you know, not necessarily a dent in the universe, but let's say just a dent in a group of people's lives. You know, that would be just amazing because this thing happens so randomly, it, it's al- almost comical. And hopefully, uh, we will have luck to create a system that will be matchmaking. Uh, great technical talent from here and talent from uh, domain expertise in the U.S. and other markets to create value for the world. Personally, I'm most inspired by that particular
1: example. As you're describing, I was thinking about the games that kids play today, the strategy games or games where they're collaborating and building. Roblox is is a huge. And they coordinate with one another and say, like, we'll go to this server, or let's let's go here. But you don't always know who's going to be on your server with you. And I'm sure we could get into a whole discussion around AI and algorithms and IP addresses. But whatever it is, these kids are learning a fundamental skill that uh, is connected to what you just described. It's that you can create with anyone at any time from all over the world, And maybe that's a lasting engagement. Maybe it goes on to build upon the work of the NIH and the the Genome Project. That's fantastic. But maybe it just forms a friendship that is the gateway to something else to come. And no matter what problem it is, I think you're solving, all of these people have a higher purpose. I think for a long time in the United States, we got stuck in a trap of what success looked like. And that meant a certain type of uh, college education, a certain level of financial success. It meant that as time went on, it was only a certain group of schools and other other schools, despite paying for that tuition and earning your way, that that somehow was substandard. And that's a race to the bottom. It really, it's diminishing. It's a story that does not promote the level of competition that some people think it does it really is discouraging and it leads to people feeling as if no matter what their efforts are, they'll never have a big impact on the world. And that's just not true. There are so many stories of people who go and pursue something just because they're interested in it, whether it's a chat with a person on the other side of the world or just traveling somewhere and forming friendships. These things tend to have their own network effect. And that's something that we're definitely seeing in social media, a different form of network effect, something that can be controlled and definitely automated. But no matter what, my perspective is that every person has some higher purpose. It may or may not be within the scope of your job or title. So as we're getting close to the end of our time here, I'm really interested in hearing what a uh, common higher purpose you hear from the people who go through your program, and then maybe even taking that back to your own higher purpose and how you would describe that. And I want to be really open here. It might change from, from week to week and setting to setting, but overall, I think we all have some sense of what we're here to do. And it'd be great to hear that in your words.
2: So it, it perhaps pains me a little bit to say that i'm not hearing enough higher purpose as much as higher purpose as i would like i i would perhaps think that this might be a consequence of many folks here in serbia being brought up in families which are let's say working class or you know even doing worse than that and perhaps that struggle for existence perhaps doesn't bring up a lot of higher purpose in folks or I'm not getting a chance to, to hear it. However, I've been hearing a lot of passion and actually quite a bit of a really great solutions for a greener economy and a greener world. There's a pretty strong and actually quite good quality community here, here in Belgrade of folks who are dedicated to, to those problems on the one hand and as a society, uh, we in Serbia are in many ways so behind what we would aspire to in terms of a developed world that we need to work so much harder to you know, get to a place where we would be able to, on a massive scale, provide to our kids what we feel they should be uh, given as a right. And in that sense, I would say that my purpose is to mobilize as many as many folks as I can to get that idea that we actually can do it. We can do it both by promoting entrepreneurship and uh, technology, but most of all, nurturing and exercising a set of values that seem to be working in both some parts of the world and also just make sense. And the most important one would be paid forward. So I'm not sure whether this is myth or history of Silicon Valley, but, you know, I like the idea that Silicon Valley was made through paid forward mentality, people helping out each other without necessarily expecting to get anything for what they're doing.
1: I heard that your hope is to be an inspiration to those around you, to find a way to make a contribution through something that is uh, uniquely their creation. It may be a combination of things with other people. It seems that a lot of your work involves many people around something. And I think that the example that you cite from Silicon Valley may have been where Silicon Valley started when the orchards were also a part of the economy. It has changed and that's part of the higher purpose of this podcast is to expand the definition of entrepreneurship and to be clear about what makes for a good open society, how there are rewards simply from being willing to pick up the phone or answer a request from a young person who's trying to scrap something together. I would say that technology did go through a phase of not only paranoia, but protection of that intellectual property and capital. And we're in that phase right now. And it's a very valid discussion because I do feel that when an artist or an engineer puts their time into creating something and then goes on to continue to create other things, part of the way that they create their own stability and long-term benefit is not by holding on to that one thing and shepherding it through. It's by producing it. They patent it and they turn it out into the world, and it it leads to a passive stream of of income and revenue based on uh, its market value and desirability. So that's a different discussion. But I just wanted to be really clear that the stage that you're at in your country, where you're encouraging people to be open and to use their creativity, to be resourceful and ask for what they need, that is still Uh, incredibly valid and that is how Silicon Valley started might not be where it is today but it's how it started Uh,
2: one thing that I would perhaps hope for is that perhaps we might be on in in like the earliest possible stages of a global entrepreneurial culture which to me seems that that you two in particular are you know encouraging by having someone like myself as your guest, where uh, perhaps my organization cannot learn a lot from people in Germany about how to develop our ecosystem because they've been here like 20 years ago. Perhaps we can learn more from folks in like uh, uh, a smaller Eastern European country, as well as perhaps we could provide some knowledge and guidance to perhaps some nation in Central America but overall, since we're all part of a one world, and uh, which is becoming more one with itself, perhaps uh, such structures could be very much to the benefit of us all. I, I have gone on a bit of a tangent there, but hopefully that made sense.
0: I want to end on this question of community, and I feel like we haven't necessarily touched exactly on the role and the importance of what it looks like as an entrepreneur to build in community and what that means and how that's played um, a role in how you've designed your vision there in Serbia.
2: We've been hearing over the years that we should be charging, I don't know, connecting people to investors or this or that. Actually, building of a community in in our particular case is the only way that our mission can have a chance to succeed. Because in a way, what we want to do is to execute a peaceful revolution in our society by changing the way that the largest part of the society is thinking and working. And in order to do that, enough to have one inspired or crazy person like yours truly, you have to have a lot of people who actually believe in the same idea. And if you nurture that community, if you... Provide an example of how great it is to pay it forward, and how great it is for other people to sort of get that flywheel going. Uh, Only then will will we have had a chance to actually on our mission. If the community continues doing that, doing that regardless of what happens to our organization. So that's the way that we think about the community, and in general, there's a lot of great people here, and. Perhaps the state could be doing a better job in helping to nurture talents and to support entrepreneurship. But perhaps the state should be out of it. And in that case there's a lot of space for, you know, more organizations like our own to be there as a sort of a supporting mechanism for, let's say, a future mo- movement that will provide a lot of value to every member of our society.
0: Thank you for that personally I think that is a pretty brilliant completion to this conversation and summary of everything. So,
1: Thank you so much for, for this time, but also the energy and effort that you put into answering our questions and your openness and willingness.
2: I've been very privileged to have this chance to chat with you. I'm looking forward to both following the podcast and
1: being in touch with you too. Thank you so much. I was hoping to share about the contemporary state of Serbia as this little country that's gone through huge dramatic changes. Serbia is this country of 7 million people and comparatively that makes me think of the Bay Area here in California. That said, the location is unique, its history is unique, and its place in the emerging economy is also unique in that Serbia has invested in STEM education, and they do have a population of of very talented engineers and developers and artists and designers who compete in the global market. The Economist published a piece on Serbia's tech economy. The number that they quoted is 6% of Serbia's GDP is tech related. And in World Bank's description, has managed a rapidly evolving political and economic environment to become a country that's now a candidate for the European Union membership, and has made significant progress in terms of structural and institutional reforms, which is a really compelling Mm -hmm. part of the systems discussion that we have with him later on in the conversation. I think that precaution has this very nice balance of wanting to one, maintain a cultural identity, but to create something that can support a future for not only the people who are building it today, but for generations of people to come. And that to me speaks of the qualities of someone who's a country builder. And I, Mm -hmm. I really do see him as the personification of somebody who is deliberately taking action to build his country. He has contacts from all over the world that he has very strong relationships with. And that also speaks of this idea of sort of soft power and influence. Caution has used what he does have, which is this personality and this charisma to influence and create friendships and networks that have helped him to not only bring people together, but also show people what's possible in entrepreneurship. Maybe not everybody should be an entrepreneur, but everybody can benefit from some continuing education. And I think just thinking about future of work, we need to have a lot of different opportunities available to people at various ages and stages of their life. And that's something that he's doing.
0: hmm I was really struck by how Clearly, he understood his work playing a role in a larger a larger societal scale. that the, the thing that he's building is not even just for the entrepreneurial community that it, it's for the larger Serbian community was was really sort of powerful to hear him talk about and see how he understands what he's doing and the role he's playing. It was really compelling to hear. And this is very well said. Collection has not only overcome
1: some major challenges left over from global conflict, but also found a way to set the conditions for other people's success and to create this platform that welcomes people of any stage and any age to learn and grow and see a future for themselves in technology. And I think that that is one of the more remarkable stories that I've heard of coming from this region where if you look at the World Economic Forum or, say, UNDP, there's a lot of concern over the brain drain and the young people leaving and going abroad elsewhere and then that talent not returning. But Vakashin is somebody who feels very strongly that his country can compete and they have something to offer, and that the young people who are born in this geography have, have options to stay and to pursue a, a meaningful livelihood. I think that's a really fascinating part of some of the work that we're doing in this podcast is looking at how people of various levels of talent and interest return to their communities of origin to continue their work and to give back. And I think in Vikashin's case, giving back is such a huge part of his mission. One of the qualities of people who I think of as leaders of civil society is are, are people that have this skill or talent to bring together diverse individuals from not only across the country but across the ideological spectrum in some cases to bring their ideas together and to turn it into action and to do that in a way that feels more like organic community leadership than any one particular person quote-unquote telling you how to build something. We've talked a bit about how important it is to have role models for people to just see what's possible, especially coming from a country where there was a period of time where entrepreneurship was illegal. He talks about that in the context of at one point being an entrepreneur in Yugoslavia would have made you an enemy of the state. And that sounds profound because. It's kind of ridiculous to think about in present day and is certainly so far from the experience that we have here in California. I can't imagine entrepreneurship being illegal, but that was a reality. And, you know, that went on for 40 years. So I think that that's a that's a remarkable
0: component to this story. Understanding the mindset around the community in Serbia that we wouldn't necessarily know without that kind of context. It's it definitely creates a different sort of texture to what Vakashin's talking about when he's talking about creating role models around entrepreneurship. Of course, they're really important because you might really not have it, a lot of proximity to one. So in order to have an idea of what it might look like to pursue a path like that, it's vitally important to have an idea of what it looks like. That's a
1: very beautiful way of stating it. I think what What he's really doing as an activist, Mm. in our words, would be more of a social movement. And you don't think of people talking about the workplace and getting excited about technology as being a social movement. Okay. But that's because we're from Silicon Valley and life without tech is like not really imaginable, but that's not his history. His history is one where People were told what jobs they were going to have. And so this idea of choosing your own uh, role in the world and what your contribution is going to be really is kind of a revolutionary idea. And I think it counts as a, as a social movement, even though his word for it is activist. And and that's fine. Semantically, we can be sort of different on that. But the goal being one and the same, I think, with our social movements in that we want economic inclusion. We want people to have access to their independence, yes. to be able to mm. choose how it is they're going to spend their time on this earth and what they're going to do to make an income.
0: That's why it's so great that he he has this very clear story of, of him as a kid deciding he's not going to have a boss. It's just like a perfect little synopsis of what choice can be. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I, I that. It's
1: it's really quite remarkable that some of these inner drives and inner motivations, these values that we have and that we carry as adults, that that spirit and fire was with us very early on. And I think maybe over time, those, those stories change. But either way, those qualities are part of this trailblazer mentality that mm-hmm. that we have in entrepreneurship and innovation.
0: Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think
1: that that's really contagious in a way. And people get inspired when they hear these stories.
0: Yeah, which is why it's powerful that he has not only built his own life on that personal choice, right? But it's so intertwined with his vision for creating that same kind of opportunity for others. And I think that's a really interesting part of entrepreneurship in and of itself, that so often a component of entrepreneurship is creating opportunities for others. Even if it's just employment within your own enterprise, you're connected to the community in a way that I think is different because you're building something for people to be a part of with you. And that's very clear in Vakashian's story and just the way that he operates.
1: What you're talking about is this generation of leaders really seeing their position as an opportunity to bring people together, knowing that without some kind of shared purpose and and common um, identity, that we're just going to be sort of stuck in the briar of conflict rather than getting to this place where we can foster new approaches and and bring these bold ideas to life. Instead, we'll be back mending a country trying to bring people together. So I think it is really inspiring to see this playing out on more I want to say micro levels, but like, for example, in a country the size of Honduras or a country the size of Serbia, that this generation of leaders is very aware of what's possible when they bring people together and present them with opportunities that really begin with
0: mutual respect. This journey and having a sense of place and rootedness and a sense of identity connected to place seems to play a role a pretty big role in defining Vakashan's path because if he was just compelled by tech or being an entrepreneur, that there would be so many opportunities to do that in other places. But to do that would be to abandon a part of himself. And like some people have to, I don't have as much of a choice in it. So those who have the ability and the capacity and the willingness to do it, I think have this like added level, and I think that's maybe what we're talking about with civil society is that they just seem to naturally move into a sphere of bringing entrepreneurship to intersect with civil society because it's deeply connected and rooted in their story mm.
1: I do think that it's a it's a very deliberate choice to make to stay in a place where you uh, may have more limited financial resources when you could go to this other place and you could basically have a pretty good middle-class lifestyle in a developed country.
0: This is what Fakashin mentions, right? His pay it forward mentality, huge value system for him and one that he actually wants to pass on to others. In fact, I think that the value of wanting to see impact and work beyond just numbers and dollar signs is compelling and like drives them and i think in this case that looks like development in their communities it looks like seeing success stories that maybe are similar to their own and being part of facilitating those and it just it starts to get really boring if it's just about i don't know raising the most vc money or something thanks for joining us. I'm Joanne. And I'm Sarah. Join us for the next episode.